Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Elliot Richardson. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Elliot onto the show. So, Elliot, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks, Matt. No, it's a pleasure to be on here. I appreciate what uh, what you're doing for coaches across the world. Oh, thank you very much. It's uh, very much appreciated. So, for the people who are listening who haven't heard of you and don't know what you're up to, can you give us mm-hmm. a 30-second summary of your uh, life until now? Sure thing. So like most strength coaches and performance people started off as an athlete. So uh, played, ended up uh, reaching the professional level here in Canada in the Canadian Football League as a, a Canadian football player. And from there, transitioned into the world of strength conditioning at, at uh, Cade University in Nova Scotia, Canada. Spent about 10 years there, uh, working my way up to become the, you know, the school's first manager of sport performance as well. And then most recently, uh, I've left that world and moved back closer to, uh, to family in Ontario. And uh, I now work with our uh, Canadian Armed Forces members. That's uh, an absolutely uh, it's a whistle-stop tour of your, of your life, but an absolutely cool job now working with military personnel. Um, I imagine you've got loads of kit and you can, you can get into talking about RSI uh, in just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, have you got loads and loads of different opportunities in terms of uh, technology with them? Yeah, yeah, we have, uh, you know, we had, I was pretty lucky at Acadia. I mean, we had, you know, we had our, we had jump mats. I've used push before, um, you know, had, we had probably, we had six, uh, six kits of, of gym aware as well too at Acadia. So we had a pretty good amount of tech. Um, but where I am now, we have, uh, pretty much a Noah's Ark of tech in terms of what we can use. So um, I'm not quite as, as limited, although I was I was pretty well off in at least the Canadian University sports system. Uh, we're, we're one of the better equipped uh, uh, setups um, across the board. So I had a chance to play around with a lot of different tools in tech and, and play my hand in different ways of measuring RSI and as well as uh, different technology methods and, and pretty fortunate there. Uh, so you're the perfect man to speak to about RSI. Could you kick us off with uh, a quick introduction as to mm-hmm. what RSI is and why it's important? Sure. Yeah, I think so. We take the let's you know military is really big on acronyms, so let's break down the acronym. Uh, um, I've been an acronym overload now for the past month trying to learn everything. So those of you that uh, that aren't sure what RSI is, it's you know reactive strength index. Uh, so RSI essentially, if we're looking at it from the, the science perspective, like if you want to go in the sciencey term, it's it's really you know how do you measure someone's you know ability to use a fast stretch shortening cycle. Um, if we want to talk more practical, uh, which I like, I like living in the practical world. I like using my science to inform my practice. Uh, for looking at the practical world, it's, it's really looking at hey how how explosive is someone? How springy? We hear people commentators talk about how you know springy or twitchy or how elastic or how explosive or 
you know, how fast someone can make a cut. So really, you know, RSI is a way of measuring um, something that's difficult to maybe look at or measure with the eye unless you have a very keen coaching eye. So it's it's looking at, you know, how um, how reactive someone's tendons and, and lower limbs can be um, and really introduces a component of time. So it, it does provide an index. And if you look into you know, even Flanagan's work, who I love, is, is a very practical uh, researcher as well, too. Um, so he he looks at it in terms of, um, you know, measuring, you know, in, in meters per second. So, you know, how high you can get off the ground um, versus how much time you spend on, in contact with the ground. So, um, you know, I, I like in terms of I think it's very important because it also uh, for us as coaches, it gives us just a number that we can assign. Uh, to a physical quality that I think is very important. Um, you know, the, the physical qualities that we're trying to, we're trying to really achieve those really outcome measures of fast, explosive, dynamic athletes, um, that we try and use some of our methods in the weight room trying to come, um, trying to achieve. Um, but, uh, you know, RSI, RSI helps attach that number. So for me, I, you know, I've used it in terms of, um, giving an athlete a number that now they want to try and improve that number. Um, I also use it for coaches because they may, they may be looking at film or they may be looking at an athlete and they're like, wow, that athlete looks, you know, really twitchy or really springy. And now I can give them a number to show them what that means. And then I can also use it for myself in terms of making sure that, Hey, I'm doing, you know, these types of drills with these athletes and I'm seeing these types of improvements. Now I actually have a you know, relatively valid way of, of measuring and evaluating whether these things are successful. And I'm definitely looking forward to getting onto the practical side of things later and, and mm-hmm. working out how we can use this information to, to advise our programming, optimize plyometrics, for example. Um, mm-hmm. But before we get there, we need to know how to measure it. So how do you go about measuring RSI? Yeah, so there's, there's a couple different ways. Depends on the, on the tools that you have. Um, so one of the more conventional ways is, is looking at just something as simple as a drop jump. Um, um, and that, you know, Looking at you know dropping off of dropping off of a box, hitting the ground, and then exploding up into the air is, is not only as high as you can, but as quickly as you can. Because we have to remember that RSI isn't just about uh, what's different between RSI and maybe vertical jump is not only how high can you get, but how little time can you spend on the ground. Because we've all seen you know that athlete say in volleyball, get up into the air, you know, um, and get up in the air fast for a big block or for a big attack. Or we've seen that athlete make that cut, or we've seen an athlete make that you know bound or, or leap or float in the air when they sprint. And that, those are all usually highly reactive athletes. So, um, you know, looking at contact time is something you need to know. Um, so you can use that during drop jumps. We also, um, you can also use, um, like if you have a jump mat, you can use, there's a four jump tool um, option that allows you to do four repeated jumps. Um, I, I really like the 10-5, um, the 10-5 test where you'll do 10 consecutive jumps. And then um, you take the five best times and you average those out and then you get a number uh, there as well. So um, there's also there's also what's called RSI mod, which is a way of I, I like that personally better than just looking at vertical jump. So RSI mod, uh, mod looks at uh, um, how long you spend creating a vertical jump. So it takes your vertical jump and it gives you a, also helps you um, also helps take into account how long it takes because uh, if you have two athletes maybe have the same vertical jump or the same explosive leg power ability if one athlete can get into the air faster that athlete usually wins and there's different tools i mean you can use um something as simple as a you know ten dollar phone app that are that's highly validated 
to, to look at uh, your RSI. You could look at things like uh, you know, G-flights. You could wear accelerometers like push, give you RSI. You can use gym wares. You can get really expensive with force plates as a way of looking at RSI. I think the question you need to ask yourself is, what am I using this information for? Um, what do I want to get out of the information? Uh, do I just want to be able to, I, I use the term fast sports science or slow sports science. Do I just want to get this number right away and maybe present it to an athlete, maybe as a motivational tool, uh, which I've used in the past, um, especially with athletes that maybe overvalue, um, you know, strength. And they think that is the holy grail for their athletic improvement. Um, and maybe I also want to look at it from a slow sports science perspective. Maybe I want to track these values over time because RSI can be a very valuable tool as well for looking at fatigue. Um, because even in, if, you know, for there's some good research out there looking at, uh, you know, a lot of people use counter movement jump as a way of, of monitoring fatigue. Well, you could sustain, say, a, you know, a, you know, a 24 inch or a, you know, a 60 centimeter counter movement jump, you could sustain that with different strategies. You may go deeper into a squat in your counter movement to be able to get up into the air. Uh, whereas if you're using an RSI mod, um, that number will be impacted by how long you spend in that eccentric to concentric piece. Um, or if you just use a drop jump, um, that will be a lot more sensitive to fatigue because the demands on the nervous system are higher in things um, that involve, uh, you know, the stretch shortening cycle. So RSI is also a really good tool for monitoring fatigue. And especially if you have a system that can track that over time, that can give you an idea of where you are athletes, where your athletes are now relative to where they were before. So I imagine based on all that information, the, the gold standard then will probably be to use some kind of force plate testing system, mm -hmm. which integrates that into an athlete management system and just spits out nice results for you every uh, maybe three to four months or so. Yeah, exactly. And, and also from a, just a daily perspective, if you're using something like force plates and, you know, some of the, the, the new, the new systems have, you know, really nice displays as well too, that automate a lot of this stuff for you, um, to be able to see where an athlete is, uh, relative to, relative to where they are in the past. That'll give you an idea of just their daily readiness. And, uh, so that can help, you know, coaches or, you know, you're an athlete that's, you know, you're tracking your own performance over time. It will give you an indication of where your nervous system system is for that day. And, you know, should you be making adjustments, whether that is maybe decreasing some of the load for that day, increasing if you're feeling fresh, take advantage of a, of a good day. Uh, but there's also different tools as well, too, um, all the way down the spectrum, like I said, from, you know, very expensive force plate system down to a $7, $10 app um, available on your app store to, to check in regularly. So when you've got your RSI measure and you've got some data mm -hmm. out, um, you're going to need to train to improve it. So mm -hmm. what kind of exercises what kind of uh, training strategies are you going to use to improve your rsi yeah when it comes to um rsi so i also you know on top of rsi being a a capacity or a number uh, you know i also look at it as, as a skill because there is a there is a coordination piece that is involved with being reactive um, you need to be able to turn on muscles um together and you also need to be able to relax so that contract relax piece um, so there, there is a skill component to it. Um, so one thing that was that's always stuck with me since my my days, my master's was St. Mary's in, in Twickenham, uh, which is a I highly recommend the program. Is you know I, I, one of the fundamental lectures is just breaking everything down into skills and capacity. So if I if I want to increase the capacity, maybe I'm I'm thinking about think about a computer system. If I want to 
or, or a car, I want to improve like the engine of it, or I want to improve the hardware of it. That's my capacity. So if I'm looking to improve the capacity of the system, well, I'll, I'll want to be introducing um, strength work, especially I want to be improving eccentric strength because I have to be able to absorb uh, forces in order to be able to return that energy back into back into a concentric contraction. So, you know, there is an association with strength um, and RSI ability. Um, those that have those that are generally stronger tend to have better RSI scores. Now we can't look at that. That's correlational, not causational. Because, um, and this is something I just recently saw on social media with a, an Altus uh, Altus presentation, and it, it really highlights the importance of of RSI. Is you know not all fast athletes are strong, and not all strong athletes are fast. So yes, strength is an important um, component of RSI, but it's it's not the holy grail, uh, just like any performance piece that we're trying to chase. Uh, so we do need to improve um, the ability, especially eccentric strength and isometric strength, to be able to absorb and help return some of this energy. Um, but we also need to be looking at uh, we also need to be looking at improving you know lower limb stiffness. So not only do we want our muscles to be strong, we also need our tendons to be strong and our tendons to be able to. Um, our tendons to be able to use some of that energy and return it. Cause at the end of the day, we're, there's not a lot of one thing that's, that's present in higher reactive athletes or higher reactive people is there's, you know, minimal, there's minimal knee bend, minimal ankle bend. Um, so there is more of a tendon component. So the tendons need to be strong enough and stiff enough to be able to handle these things. Um, so we, on top of looking at strength, we also need to be able to look at rate of force development as well too. So power is a component as well. Um, and then um, we need to be looking at elastic ability. So we need the capacity for our tendons to be able to handle, you know, higher forces, higher rates of force development. But they also need to be working on the, the skill of getting off the ground quickly. So whether it's low-grade plyometrics, uh, pogos in place, whether it's absorbing, uh, absorbing loads uh, from, say, just doing jumps with a stick or eventually timing that into more consecutive jumps with a fast stretch shortening cycle strategy um we need to look at we need to look at the skill of it so for me even with someone who may have a very low rsi uh low rsi score uh one exercise that i've done with them to try and teach them what this can feel like is doing a, assisted pogo jumps um because sometimes for an athlete that's not very elastic they're going to have trouble even just feeling what that quick contact can feel when they come off the ground. Um, so by doing an assisted pogo jump, where um, you might see more likely with uh, uh, with overspeed training um, in uh, French contrast, for example, you might have the athlete holding onto the band and just doing quick repetitive taps off the ground, just to be able to feel the feeling of of snapping or popping off the ground. So and that gets into the skill piece. Because um, with my plyometrics, I like to layer in, you know, the skill of being elastic and getting off the ground as well too quickly. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market, developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. Absolutely fantastic. So that brings us quite nicely onto how you would then practically 
change your training based on the results of your, your RSI data. So could you mm-hmm. take us through potentially two different training scenarios where you've got one athlete with a, a low RSI score and the other with a high RSI score and how those programs might differ from each other? Yeah, sure thing. So I think um, when we look at training principles in general, so I like to use the analogy of and comparisons of like a restaurant for a lot of my, my programming and what I do. So the, the menu and the, the types of, of exercises and the categories of exercise are, are in, they're going to be similar for both a low, some with a low SR and a higher SI. It's the types of exercises I might choose or, you know, the amount of each ingredient that I might select. So both athletes are going to do strength work. You know, they're going to do plyometric work. They're going to be doing sprint work. Um, now the types of exercises and the volume of it um, is going to differ between the two. So if I look at a if I look at a uh, athlete with a low RSI score, um, there's going to be um, you know more volume of, of eccentrics and isometrics. So trying to build up that strength deficit, if there is in fact one, because um, people can have very good strength but not have very good RSI scores. Um, so I'll need to analyze that first. But let's just go with someone that maybe they're just low in the strength. Maybe they're only um, being able to squat, you know, their body weight, um, as an example, someone has a strength deficit there. Um, and I want to get that up to to 1.5. So, you know, I'll be working on eccentric strength, isometric strength. Um, when it comes to their plyometric program, because that's also going to be a component. Um, I think concurrent programming is going to be your, your best friend in this situation. Um, because you can't just save plyometrics for down the road. Um, but I would be, maybe starting on the far side of the spectrum and just in terms of getting that athlete used to that eccentric component. So having them doing jumps with sticks where they're, you know, jumping up and when they hit the ground, absorbing into, um, absorbing into a stable position and allowing their tendon to get used to um, absorbing that, uh, that kinetic energy. Uh, I'll also be, like I said before, I'll be using some skill work. So it might be some very rudimentary pogos, um, it might be some assisted jumps using a band because I want that athlete to get the feeling of being able to turn on and turn off those muscles in sequential order. Um, you know, because after all, like I talked about with skills and capacities, there also is a skill component um, that someone needs to have in order to be more elastic. Because if they're if their muscles are constantly on um, and and firing, then they're not going to have that relaxation ability. Uh, when they're in the air or that there's also a, you know, they also need to have pre-activation is something that's also been found in the literature to be something that happens with people with higher RSI. So essentially while someone's limbs are about to hit the ground, those muscles that create the stiffness necessary to have RSI, they come on almost before they hit the ground. And that's part of the skill component as well too. So I'll work with an athlete with some assisted pogos just to get used to that pre-activation, making sure they're in a proper dorsiflex position so they can spring off the ground like a pogo and not hit the ground like a soft medicine ball. Eventually, once they start to, you know, get acclimated to the loading, then we start getting into maybe, I use some, you know, jumps with maybe a double bounce where they'll hit the ground, take a small little preparatory jump and then spring off the ground. And where I find that is useful is it uh, allows that timing to get integrated as well too. And it also keeps the force demands low. Because if you jump straight into, you know, high intensity plyometrics, where you're really trying to get that fast stretch shortening cycle and you're jumping over high hurdles, you know, the forces that athlete has to deal with are going to be too high for them to be able to, to be able to handle it and get off the ground with any type of speed. Um, For them, especially since they're younger, um, they might be younger or less developed and, 
maybe generate less forces. I'll generally have more volume because they'll be able to tolerate it. Um, you know, their muscles, their tendons won't be able to produce the amount of force that will you know, wear them down or cause some issues. So I'll slowly over time ramp up that, that volume and intensity and, um, and eventually finish off, hopefully in a phase where they're doing some pure plyometrics, uh, where they're actually getting off the ground fast. Um, I might use some traditional tests like a 10-5 RSI or a four jump test. Um, just as a way of, of practicing uh, the skill of being elastic, of, of having good RSI and showing that. So we talked about um, tools and, and technology. You know, I've used push bands in the past that have a 10-5 feature built in of showing them their score of you know, what their RSI is or using a jump mat and using the four jump and showing them what that score is. And we do that every day so they can start to learn and feel and start to see the transfer of what we're doing. Now, when it comes to someone with a high RSI, um, someone who's you know, really well developed in terms of elastic ability. Um, I would, you know, for them, I'd be doing a lot less um, just because they already have what we're trying to achieve and also the forces that are put onto their body when they're, when they're performing plyometric abilities is going to put more stress onto their system, which I want to try and limit. So we'll be doing overall, we'll be doing less work because the intensity just based on their actual capacity is going to be higher. Um, but uh for them, I might introduce, you know, there'll be an athlete that I'd be using drop jumps with and depth jumps with just to try and creep up that number just a little bit higher. Uh, but those are, you know, those are very high, high intense, um, demanding exercises. I'll also be using more fast stretch shortening cycle type single leg exercises. So whether it's, you know, it's vertical hops or whether it's, it's horizontal, horizontal in nature, um, because they're going to be more developed and be able to handle those things. Whereas with a more novice athlete, the majority of my plyometrics, true plyometrics should be more bilateral in nature, just to, for them to be able to get used to it uh, because they're able to absorb those forces over, um, over two limbs instead of one. Um, and then in terms of, you know, evaluating strength um, with that, that, uh, that high level RSI athlete, um, it's going to be dependent on their sport. Um, um, you know, because I'm, if I add strength, I, I might take away from that RSI, which I don't want to do. I might make them, I might introduce some negative stiffness, um, to their system or mess up some of the coordination patterns that they have. So it'll depend on, you know, is this a, a track and field athlete? Um, or is this a, you know, a, a collision sport athlete, like a rugby athlete will de determine how much more strength I add. And then something else I'll do differently with uh, someone with high RSI is I'll start to get more specific. So, you know, I'll ask myself, what type of an athlete is this? And what do they need to do? Is this a triple jumper? Is this a gymnast who's going to need a very specific type of RSI? Um, so for, for them, I might use my drop jump data to help very uh, specifically dial in on, okay, what drop jump height should I be using? Because that's another benefit of, of measuring RSI with drop jumps, as you can see where their sweet spot is. Whereas the, you know, a, a novice RSI athlete, you know, it, I won't be, I won't worry about being as precise. Um, and so, you know, if, if this uh, high RSI athlete needs to have more, you know, uh, maybe it's a vaulter, so I need to work on more for, uh, vertical vertical exercise, I'll choose more vertical exercise. If it's maybe more of a sprinter, I might choose more repeated, repeated bouts like a 10-5 type, uh, pogo type exercises. Um, or if it's a sprinter, maybe horizontal exercises that utilize that stretch shortening cycle. Likewise, if it's a team sport athlete that maybe needs to have better change of direction ability, 
um, then maybe I'll choose some more specific, um, you know, multi-directional uh, stretch shortening cycle activities as well too. So more general, a higher volume on the lower RSI athlete, um, and I'll have you know less volume, more specific on the high RSI athlete. Oh, I think that's an absolutely excellent summary as well. Fantastic stuff. So before we uh, conclude, I want to ask you the most difficult question that we can mm-hmm. imagine. Um, and that is, what is the one thing that you see or do differently, which the rest of the world can learn from? Mm. I think I'd probably have to point to, and this is something that I think fits in well with maybe how I've approached RSI is just being, I've seen the term used a, a specialized generalist. So um, if you, I think when people initially look at RSI, they're like, they look at it in terms of a problem that needs to be solved by, okay, well, it's a plyometric activity, it's a plyometric test, or it's an exercise or a test that involves you know, jumping measures. So I need to look at it from a jumping lens. Um, whereas for me, as a, you know, I like to look at, I like to be very broad in my knowledge. I like to have a good understanding of everything, but I'm never going to be a true specialist in any area. And I think that's helped me understand the, the nuances of how you can attack this RSI problem. Um, because there are, there, it is multifactorial. You can't just look at strength. Strength is an important piece. You can't just look at, you know, how elastic, you know, how, um, you know, uh, the strength of the tendons um, or how stiff the tendons are. You also have to look at tendon health, which is an emerging interest in the, in the performance realm. You can't just look at it purely as a, a physical problem um, that needs to be addressed because there's also a skill component. Can this athlete you know, properly coordinate their limbs? Do they have the coordination problem? Uh, there's also, uh, you know, the psychology piece of it. Uh, there's a motivational aspect to it. Um, for athletes that, you know, think they're explosive and the answer to improving their explosiveness further is in the weight room, well, you can show them, hey, look, you have a 1.5 RSI, even though you squat two and a half times body weight. Um, I can provide them the motivation. I can provide them the feedback that, hey, these exercises we're doing here that involve no weight or use an assisted band, or they're actually making your RSI better, um, as well as that augmented feedback in the weight room. So understanding how that can, or on the track, can improve their performance, improve buy-in, um, as well as help paint a picture. So, you know, I've, I've looked, I've tried to become a, you know, a generalized specialist, trying to a jack of all trades, for example, know a lot about, uh, know a lot about uh, a lot of different things, know a bit about each. And if I want to learn more about it, I might go for RSI, learn from an Eamon Flanagan and his work, or find the, you know, that true specialist in the area and steal from them and, and to help inform my practice better. So I think, especially in this day and age where we're learning so much more about what we don't know, um, we need to know, we need to have a broad knowledge of everything. And, and that's something that I've tried to bring to my practice and something that I continue to try and learn is just be a generalized specialist. I think that's absolutely great advice. So, uh, Elliot, massive thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone does who's listened as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, buddy. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Elliot for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Agility mini course. That is all you need to know on agility, packed into two hours of digestible content that is broken down into tiny chunks so that you can fit it around your busy coaching week. So if you've not already, be sure to check that one out in the show notes and you can download it for free. And if you're not already, be sure to hit subscribe on whichever sender you're currently using. That helps us, of course, to boost our listeners, but also to bring you the best content possible every single week. So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science to Sport and I'll speak to you next week.